Hello and welcome to another episode of Empire Sports Talk. I am your host, Roman Gennaro. Let's get started. We have another great interview for you this week. As I sat down a few days ago with University of North Florida men's basketball coach Matthew Driscoll to discuss his coaching career, his viral moment during the 2015 NCAA tournament, and much, much more. And you're not going to want to miss a minute of this interview. It's long, but for every minute of this hour and a half that we spoke with him, he had some valuable things to say, great lessons, great stories. Uh, it was a fun interview, and you're not going to want to miss a second of it. So I'll get you out to that in just a second. But before we do that, let's cover what's been going on in sports. Congratulations to the LSU Tigers women's basketball team and the UConn men's basketball team on capturing the national championships for their respective sports on Sunday and Monday nights. As far as LSU is concerned, a lot of people – they made headlines when star player Angel Reese was seen taunting Iowa's Caitlin Clark at the end of the game by doing the ring finger gesture to let her know we have the ring now. Uh, this came after Caitlin Clark taunted players during previous rounds, and many people had a problem with Angel Reese taunting Caitlin Clark. I didn't have a problem with the taunt in itself. Caitlin Clark didn't have a problem with the taunt. Uh, she said as much that she understood and she respected it, whatever. My issue... And this isn't just with Angel Reese, but you see it a lot. You can taunt someone. You can trash talk. That happens. You, you're, you're playing a sport at a high level. You get emotional. You get excited. What I didn't care for was that Angel Reese seemed to follow Caitlin Clark around the court because at the time of the gesture, Caitlin Clark was walking past Angel Reese, and Angel Reese was standing there. She made the gesture, and then she walked after Caitlin Clark and got around her so that she was in front of her. And I did and seemed to follow her around the court for a solid 10 seconds. And I didn't care if you're going to taunt someone, if you're going to trash talk someone, do it as they're walking by and leave it alone. So while, while I don't I don't care that she taunted Caitlin Clark, I don't I, I would have loved to see her not follow her. I think that's when you t- you take things a little too far. But congratulations to LSU for winning the national championship. It, it was a quick turnaround for them and coach. Kim Mulkey, who was in her second year at LSU after previously winning national championships at Baylor. Congratulations to the UConn men's who won the national title, and it was their fifth in school history, all since 1999. So their five in 24 years is more than any other team in college basketball. And it was done by three different coaches. So what UConn has built in the past several years is something to marvel at that they became one of those blue blood schools in a lot less time than the other schools. Baseball has started up again, and the Tampa Bay Rays have come out of the gates as the hottest team in the league starting their season 7-0. and And while that's not a record in the league just yet, we're getting there, and it's exciting to watch. The, the, the current record for wins to start a season is held by both the 1987 Milwaukee Brewers and the 1982 Atlanta Braves, who both respectively won their first 13 games of the season. So Tampa has a long way to go, but it'll be fun to see how, how far they can make it. My preseason World Series prediction was, I believe I said the Yankees and the Cardinals. And I'm still comfortable with that, but right now, the way the season has started... It's looking more like the Rays and the Braves, which many people thought was going to happen in 2020, but the Dodgers ended up beating the Braves in the NLCS and then the Rays in the World Series. But 
I'm still sticking with, with my pick of Yankees Cardinals, but right now it's looking the two best teams in the league to me look like the Rays and the Braves, where uh, certain favorites like the Yankees, the Cardinals, and the Padres don't look so great right now. And it looks like the Cubs and the Diamondbacks are early, early surprises in the league, so it remains to be seen how long they will last, what the end of the season will look like, but I'm just talking from the first couple of weeks of the season what it looks like. It looks like Tampa and Atlanta are the two best teams. It looks like Arizona's the surprise, and it looks like right now, with with a slow start, San Diego's kind of a disappointment, but they're, but they're getting Fernando Tatis Jr. back, so that will certainly help them. No news yet on the Aaron Rodgers front. I kind of want to stop tracking it at this point, but he is the biggest name left out there, but... Odell Beckham Jr. was seen again with Robert Sala this past week. He he was seen once with him at a Phoenix Suns game, and then again, I believe, at, at Robert Sala's house. So this is now twice that we've seen Odell Beckham Jr. with the head coach of the New York Jets. And, you know, we know that Aaron Rodgers had Odell Beckham Jr. as a target on his list. Of course, the Jets have already signed Aaron's former Green Bay receiver Alan Lazard. So it seems like a foregone conclusion still, but it's there's been no news at all. So who the heck knows? With the draft coming at the end of the month, maybe they're waiting for the for draft night before they officially make that trade happen. The most shocking news in the NBA with the season wrapping up, they have a couple more games before the playoffs begin. The Dallas Mavericks have officially been eliminated from the playoffs, and that includes the play-in tournament. So there will be no postseason basketball in Dallas. And this is especially shocking considering they they went and got Kyrie Irving at the beginning of February, which to many seemed like that was going to rocket them to the top of the Western Conference. At the time of the trade, I believe they were in fourth in the Western Conference, and now they're out. They're 11th. They're, they've officially been eliminated. So I, I, went and I, I went back and I looked, and when the Mavs trade for, traded for Kyrie, they, they were 29 and 26. Since the Kyrie trade, they've gone 9-17. and 17. And I realize that Luka didn't play some of those games and Kyrie didn't play some of those games, but since the Kyrie trade, they've gone 9-17 and 17 to have a current record with just, a, with I believe, one more game is left of 38-43 and 43 out of the playoffs entirely. I don't know if, if, if Luka's to blame. I don't know if Kyrie is to blame. But to me, I, I don't think... The front office is in is in the right shape. I don't think they they know how to build that winning team. Sure, they as long as Mark Cuban's been the owner, they've they've made it to two finals and they've won one of them. But as I said on a previous podcast, they they've had a franchise cornerstone for 25 years now, and as far as going beyond just appearing in the playoffs, the the success is very very limited for Dallas. So. I, I don't know if I'm ready to put the blame on Luka or on Kyrie. I do know that the that the Mavs don't play a lot of defense. Maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe, maybe they need to focus more on defense. But I just don't know if they know if they have what they need to build a championship team. To me, they traded their, their second best player to get Kyrie. They traded Spencer Dinwiddie, who I think would have been a valuable piece to keep. And I understand they needed to trade what they had. I understand. But since the Kyrie trade, the Mavs have gone 9-17, and and they're out of the playoffs. So something isn't right in Dallas. And honestly, I doubt if we'll see Kyrie back there next year. But 
time will tell. So I want to get you out to the interview with Matthew Driscoll. Like I said, it's a doozy. You're going to want to listen to the whole thing. He's such a good guy. I want to thank him again for sitting down with us. He he truly loves his players, and he loves people. He, ever since I've known him, which is when I started at the University of North Florida in 2011, he gives his personal phone number out to every single student, not just basketball players, not just athletes, every single student. And if they need something, he's there. And if he sees you on campus, he says hey to you, and he asks questions, and he, and he's a very personable guy, and he cares about people very much, which he said he learned, which you'll hear during this interview, he said he learned from Baylor head coach Scott Drew, and you'll hear about their journey together. But it's just a fun ride. Just Just take a listen to everything he has to say. Here's the interview right here. All right, this is Empire Sports Talk. I am your host, Roman Gennaro, and I am here with University of North Florida head basketball coach, the winningest and longest tenured coach in, in North Florida history, <laughs> Matthew Driscoll. Thanks for joining us, Coach Driscoll. Well, it's my honor. And, and obviously, when you're somewhere for as long as I've been, this will be our 15th season coming up. Um, some of that stuff just kind of happens organically, so to speak. I know that's a new word that's kind of buzzing uh, around. And um, the one thing that's great about here that you know as well, um, it's really an incredible place to really put your roots down and to really to raise a family. And where we're at specifically, the beaches are amazing. And we're so far north that you can get to Atlanta pretty quickly. You can get to Miami quickly. You can get to Charlotte quickly, which is kind of how we do our recruiting, you know, roughly six hours. Um, and so it's uh, – Used to be a hidden secret, and then yeah. you get Bo Beach and Dallas Moore and and the fellas, and then after after that, you know it's uh, Brent Comer. I know is going to be on your show at some point, and you know they were the darlings, so to speak. And then we kind of came along in Dallas, and those guys kind of you know dethroned them a little bit, and and then we took over. So it's been Absolutely. great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. North Florida is one of those places where you just kind of find find a home. I know for me, when I was there at school, I, I still live here now. When I was there at school, I, I thought, you know, I'll, I'll graduate, I'll do my time, and then I'll move somewhere else. And then it, it ingrains on you. And I'm still here. So and, it's and been, I think it's Roman, years. To, yeah. to your credit, though, I think a lot of that has to be, and we talk about this in our program, you really have to embrace where your feet are planted with a genuine purpose. And that's important. Absolutely. So you have to embrace where your feet are planted with a genuine purpose, treating others the way in which you want to be treated, not the way in which they're treating you. And it doesn't matter that in and of itself creates a wholeness, creates a um, almost something that you said, like, you said in grains, like it's something that kind of just capsulates what you're trying to do. And then all of a sudden it's not just, I think you used the term doing my time or what we call it, punching a clock. Um, it's more than that. And then mm -hmm. now I think you find the people were more than that. The area is more than that. Um, and then all of a sudden, bada bing, bada boom, you know, it kind of grows on you and it's, it becomes part of you. For sure. For sure. So coach, tell us, about what obviously you've been at uh, North Florida now for coming up on your 15th season, but, but talk to us about your coaching journey and how you got to where you are now. 
you don't have enough time for all that. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm a big believer in putting dots on a map. And I uh, was just fortunate to marry my son, officiate my son's wedding this weekend, a former player awesome. currently on staff too. He's actually the seventh, uh, including Bo Beach, who you already had on the show. Um, and when you put dots on a map, I have about 12 or 13. And at some point, you have to realize, for instance, one of your dots, obviously, is Jacksonville. And you have to really realize what they look like and how those dots present themselves. But the dot in and of itself goes back to where you embrace where your feet are planted. And that's mm -hmm. something I learned early. And so didn't have a degree until I was 27. So I was kind of new to the party. Mm. And everybody in our office, Coach Evans, has been with us for now, going on his 15th season, took a four-year hyenas to go to Georgia Tech, but he's back. Coach Kennan's been here all 15 years with me. Coach Perkins was with me at Baylor, and in 2006, he walked in our office and said, at the age of 36, I want to be a manager because he wanted to finish his degree because he had been doing things he didn't need his degree. And then, so... Everybody's got a different path. And I think that's the one thing young people, I think they're really in this microwave world where put it in a microwave, put it on a minute and a half, hurry up, hurry up, ding, and boom, now it's ready. When in reality, all of our transitions, all of our, what got us, our dots on the map on our staff alone, and yours too, is really more like an oven. You might want to put it in for 20 minutes to warm it up. You might want to put it in for 45 minutes and you got to flip it halfway through so that the fish doesn't stick to the foil. Sometimes you got to put it in for three hours. And so you have to understand that. And I was a young high school coach at 24. Um, and then just there's really too many stories to go through the whole thing, but they're incredible dots on the map because when I was the high school coach, that's when it kind of all started coming to fruition of like, like I really should be doing this. This is really my calling. Um, young people and helping young men become as good a people, become as good a husbands, become as good as fathers, if that's possible. Um, all those things started coming to fruition. And I didn't have my degree. I was um, working at a McDonald's. Um, and again, that whole deal, I thought I was going to own six McDonald's, you know, at that point. And, and a guy walked in and, and Bobby said, guy I played against and I'm going to this junior college. And I'm like, man, I want to go back. I go to the junior college because I go, the, you can see the picture, um, up there in the upper left-hand corner. Mm -hmm. uh, actually the head coach at Chaminade is in that picture. Um, Interesting. but you go up in that picture and there's a little coach on the far right. You can barely see him was a great player there and at another school called LaRoche college. And so I end up going there, which is another great story to the junior college, get out of the junior college. I go to Greensboro college. It doesn't work out the way I want it to. I go back home, start selling cars, start making money, start doing this, that, and the other. Next thing you know, guy says, you want to be a JV coach in my high school? I said, sure. I go to be a coach for two months. He gets fired. 
and it's my alma mater. So it's my high school. And they're like, we want you to be the head coach. And I'm 24. I'm like, okay, whatever. So I'm the head coach. We're, we're absolutely, we're, we're okay that year, but then we're awful the next year, all mm -hmm. these freshmen. And, but then I realized like, like I, I got to go back and finish my degree. My dad, right. we, had, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, I'm the first one in our family, like several of our coaches, Coach Evans and Coach Kennan as well, too, were the first one in our family to get their degree. And so, like, I'm like, I, I got to go back. And my dad finally said, you know what? I want you to go back. So my junior college coach, I go back. My junior college coach says, Drisk, here's what you need to do. You need a student teach at a school district that's hiring. You need to get a basketball job at a school district that's hiring. So I did everything he told me and everything mm -hmm. he said came to fruition. Everything. Right. But here goes the dots on the map. While I'm at the high school, the head coach, Rick Taft, good human being. He was just, he was, he was nuts. He's from new England. Mm. So he says, let's go to Providence's team camp. So we go to Providence's team camp and Rick Barnes is the coach. And Larry Shiat, who is my mentor is the assistant coach. We strike up a relationship. Every time he comes to Pittsburgh, I pick him up, yada, yada, yada. Well, I go back. I'm, I'm coaching high school. The Division three job opens at LaRoche. Remember I told you that guy played mm -hmm. at LaRoche and was a great player. Right. Well, as good as God is, the newspaper's on strike, so not a lot of people know. I'm a high school assistant coach. Mm-hmm. And I get a division three head coach coaching job. It's crazy. It's God nice. is just so good. Absolutely. However, absolutely. However, I take the job 24 hours later, I turn it down. Mm. When I turn it down, my AD at the high school said, listen, I got you a teaching job. I got you this. I got you that. You can't leave us. So I'm like, okay, he's right. You know, whatever. I go into my principal. I turn the job down. I go into my principal and she says, I could care less what you do after 3.30. Like, just take care of those kids from 8 to 3.30. So now I'm a little bit upset. Like, I'm a little hot. So mm -hmm. I go in, and I go in, and I resign. Mm. So now I don't have a basketball job. Well, dots on a map. My college coach says, listen, Drisk, so I graduated from Slippery Rock. He says, Go see Coach Barlett. His guy just left and went to the Washington Wizards. He's got a spot. It's going to pay 1500 bucks. Go do it. Go take it. So I do. While I'm doing it, I say to myself, you know what? I need to write the AD a letter. You know, back in the old days, we didn't write an email. We wrote a letter. And I sent her a letter, and I said, man, I made a huge mistake. I really wish I would have, whatever. I'm at Slippery Rock July, August, September, October. It was the only year in college basketball where practice didn't start till November 1st. Mm. I come home from um, um, teaching. I walk in my apartment. You don't even know what this means, but my my voice message machine light was blinking. I know exactly what that means. All right, all right, just checking. So I hit the button. It's like, it's like October 25th. I hit the button. It's the AD from LaRoche. Listen, coach, the guy we hired... He got the recruit for a year. Season starts next week. He quit. Like, is there any chance, you know, I got your letter, any chance you'd come over and sit down? And, and I'm like, 
like, let's go. Like I was like, let's go. Yeah. So, but, but I didn't want to be disloyal to the guy that gave me the job. Mm -hmm. So I call up my mentors, coach Shide from Providence, coach Hartung from Butler. And they're like, just call Bob and just explain it to him. I won't get to this part, but when we went to the championship in 2011, he drove over to watch the game just to support me. That's how good of a person he was. But anyways, so I call him. He's like, go take the job. So there's a lot of good stories about that. So I take the job and I stay for, you know, four years. And meanwhile, I keep that relationship with Coach Shiat. And then Coach Shiat uh, gets the Wyoming job. So now I leave teaching. I leave LaRoche. I go to Wyoming. My first full-time, all I do is coach basketball job. Right. The athletic director that hired us is important. And this goes back to dots on a map. Don't turn, don't burn a bridge. Understand you're going to disappoint people, but you make decisions for what you feel are right. Roman, you think what you feel is right, but we may agree to disagree, but no hard feelings. Mm -hmm. So we go, we flip the program around in one year and Rick Barnes takes the Texas job. Mm. So now Clemson's going to hire coach Shiat from Wyoming to come back after one year, 13 months. Exactly. So the athletic director offers shot coach a 10 year deal. There's no way he cannot take an ACC job. Like, right. His, like there's no way he's got to take the job. Absolutely. So he takes the job. He obviously I'm going with him. The AD comes in and says, listen, we're going to pay you a ton of money. We're going to pay your wife a ton of money to be the cheerleading coach. We want you to stay. I'm like, listen, I appreciate it. That's kind. You said nice things about who I am and what I stand for, but I got to go. So that was 1998. And that athletic director was not happy with me mm. at all, at all. So go to Clemson, get fired. And my five years at Clemson, Shy said to me, whatever you do, get on the assistant coaches committee because you can meet all these people. You can really, you know, blossom and really extend yourself, whatever. So, okay, if that's what you tell me to do. That's what I'm going to do. Then I become the president of all the assistants. And of course, during that time, you meet all these people. Again, there's a dot on my map in Minnesota. It's Kelly's bar and it's the basement of it. And I don't drink <laughs> But that's where the meeting was. Right. The guy sitting across from me at the meeting was Scott Drew. And like, I got all these notes and I got all this stuff and I want to change the world. Not, I mm -hmm. got ideas that are going to make college basketball great and film exchange and recruits coming to games and all this stuff. And most of the people there think I'm nuts because most of the people there when you're on the committee, you get your final four tickets early. When you get your final four tickets early, you can go scalp them earlier. When <laughs> you scalp them earlier, you can make more money. But now you can't do that anymore. Right. So anyways, Coach Drew was the first assistant. He, he resigns. So Coach Drew was at Valparaiso. And his daddy, he knew, was going to retire and he was going to become the head coach. Well, obviously, you can't be on assistant coaches if you're going to be a head coach. So it was probably about two years down the road. 
So he resigns and they're like, anybody want to be the first assistant? Their first president, first vice president. Nobody raises their hand. Nobody raises their hand. And Coach Drew goes, I think he should be it. I mean, this guy obviously cares. And I and I was new. I was just new on the committee. Right. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. So then I did it. So that was the only time that Coach Drew and I had a conversation. So we go to Clemson. We get fired. And all kind of stuff. There's a bunch of stories with that. So then I interviewed at Valparaiso with Coach Drew. He had just finished his first year. The guy that was with him went with went with the, with Dick Bennett to Washington State. So the AD told Scott was 31. He said, you got to hire an old coach. You got to have an old coach. And I was 39. So I get the job. And there's so many great stories about that leading to Baylor. It's it's amazing. But I'm not, I can't tell them all to you. I could, but it would take <laughs> forever. And then we get the Baylor job. So that's 03. 03. So I go to Baylor. It's professional suicide. Don't do it. Yada, yada, yada. And obviously in five years, we flip it. Um, don't get the Robert Morris job that I interviewed for. Don't get the St. Francis PA job that I interview, interview for in 08 after we went to the NSA tournament. So now it's 09. And then the North Florida situation happens. My mentor, Larry Shiat, who got fired from Clemson, ended up on Billy Donovan's staff, was the defensive guru that helped lead them to two back-to-back national championships. Nice. But wait a minute, here's the best part of the story. Guess who the AD was at North Florida? Take a guess. Well, the only the one athletic, I know, I was going to say, the athletic, only one I know is Coach Moon. So, And guess where Coach Moon was in 1998? Where was Coach Moon in 1998? He was the AD at Wyoming who we left. Of course he was. So here's a guy that was really upset with me, but we had, we mended that fence over years, over time, like everything. However, he wanted to hire Coach Shiat again. But Coach Shiat knew that Wyoming was coming open again. And so he wanted to go back. He always loved Wyoming. Right. And I went back and led him to the NCAA tournament. Well, I was like next in the pecking order. So Coach Shiat turned the job down and then bada bing, bada boom. Here I am. So I know that was kind of convoluted and there's probably, there's a lot more to it. And there's some, there's some really cool, but it was a good example of how those dots on a map come together. Mm. And if you read Coach Drew's book, you'll read some more. Really I actually good. I actually just ordered his book moments before this interview. I saw Yeah, yeah you're going to love it. There's yeah. some really good stories, really good stories. I I love those kind of stories, so it's not convoluted to me. I could listen to you talk about that all day. So so now you're at North Florida. You've been there for a while. You've been a head coach for a while. You've you've had a journey as, as an assistant long long coaching journey what would you say when you're recruiting new players when you're coaching your current players what what's your philosophy when it comes to your players how how do you see shaping them and 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 turning them into the men that you want them to be like how what's your philosophy first of all helping them understand what accountability and responsibility looks like helping them understand they all want to be a pro, right? But like this dude right here is the sixth pick in the draft. 
and that's the UNF flag. And, and in 2010, he flew me up and made sure I was there with him. He played at Baylor. And like, everybody wants to be a pro. And like, so, but nobody understand what's that look like. Because at the end of the day, work brings profit and talk leads to poverty. And that's what happens with all athletes. The ones that do really, really well. And then the ones that fizzle and, and whatever. And so we tell our guys this all the time. Our job is twofold to make you as good as we can possibly make you with the talents and treasures that you've been given. And whatever that looks like exponentially to not bury it in the dirt, like it says in Matthew and to really expound upon it. And then you can see the flourishment of the growth. Secondly, we are to recruit as good a players as we can possibly recruit. Absolutely. So there's always competition so that there's always free flow, whatever that look, Garrett Sams um, takes a guy that started 42 straight games, Nick Malunga on a championship team and took over his position as a freshman about, about mid December. And so with all that pouring into them, telling them that you love them. I give them a hug every single day. You know, Carter talked about that in his big interview they did with him in the local newspaper. You know, he coach talked about it, but then I saw it when I came down on my visit Um, and just really try to help these guys understand what gratitude looks like, what please and thank you looks like, what many hands make light work. Mm. When the bus stops, our staff is the first one off the bus and the bus is empty before the players get off the bus. Right. Now they're grabbing their stuff in another bag and taking it in. But we're also going to demonstrate and we're going to help them understand what that looks like with our wives. Um, those of us that have children, um, when people come around, the way in which we address, the way in which we conversate, the way in which we handle uh, victory with defeat, the way in which we all those things that are so critical, um, lifting weights at seven o'clock, early's on time, on time's late, late's unacceptable. All those things, education, you go to class to learn, you're in our men's basketball program to be educated. There's a lot of educating to be done while you're in college and while you're on a campus, um, how you interact with people. The way in which you, you know, I'm a really, I don't like earbuds. I'm just, I'm not an earbud guy. And if you got to have one, put in one. Right. Shut the world off. And, and, and don't, don't not allow people to, especially when you're a men's basketball player, because we don't have football. So, you know, there's a lot of people that want to talk to you and touch you and want to in your class. Now that we're going back to real classes. Um, So, and then the other thing is, you know, really understanding that there's a difference between being active and achieving something. And JT Escobar is the best example. JT Escobar came to us from old miss broken. He was broken. He thought I need to be in the gym two hours every day. And he was broken. He was beating his body down. He was broken. And you have to teach him how to be efficient, how to do this, how to stretch how to do maintenance, how to do all these things. And Dallas Moore, the 
greatest scorer in college basketball history in the state of Florida. Never missed a game, never missed a practice. Bo Beach never missed a game. He missed one practice that I made him miss because we were going to the Bahamas and he had tweaked his ankle and I really didn't, he doesn't need to practice. And I was like, you ain't practicing, bro. He wasn't happy with me, <laughs> but he never missed a practice like on his own, like whatever. And so how you take care of, because you can't perform unless your body's right, your mind's right, and, and, and all those kind of things. So it's constantly, constantly, constantly talked about. And I'll give you a good example. At my son's wedding, one of our players was there. And after the wedding, my son said, man, I feel bad that Osborne had to do so much stuff. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what, coach? I really don't feel bad. And he's like, yeah, but he's supposed to be here as a guest and yada, yada, yada. I said, just so you know, as a coach, I, like it warms my heart that he understands like sometimes you got to do stuff and sometimes you just got to help out and sometimes you just got to serve and sometimes whatever. Right. And so those are the kind of things, you know, we use these themes um, in the last nine years. We started with themes um, and, 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 and part of our culture is on those themes. And so it's a constant, we have shirts and, and so it's a constant, constant, constant pouring in. And, and I believe this, I don't believe that it's half empty or half full. I just believe you just got to keep filling it up, right. just keep filling it up, fill it up, fill it up, fill it up. And then we tell our guys like Bo knows this, like whatever I say, I'm not going to, we're not, we don't make it personal. I don't mother F guys and I'm not that guy. But I'm intense and I'm very, very passionate. Mm -hmm. But we tell the guys, let it go in one ear, let it come out the other and just retain what's important. Right. I don't uh, hold grudges. You make an error, you pay your penance and we move on. And so all those things, I think we had a kid one time say, coach, I'm really not, really not a morning guy. I don't know about this seven o'clock waits. And I said, let me tell you something. Don't go to school here because you're going to lift at seven. <laughs> if you want to go to school here, you'll be surprised later in life. This is probably going to help you more than you think. And sure enough, like four years in the working world, he was like, man, coach, like I got to get up at six every, you know, I'm one of those. Right. And so, you know, there's, there's certain things we do. We probably don't even realize it, but it probably just continually pours into them and pours into them and pours into them. And they're always watching Roman. Absolutely. And you know, watching when a guy makes a mistake, they're watching when a guy, whatever they're watching. Um, when a guy does something that they know that you don't know yet, they're watching. Um, and so we have a thing, like, if you don't want to know the answer, don't ask a question. Right. So we just love them. We love on them. Uh, we pour into them and, um, and we're always, we're always thinking about, like, just how can we make them better? Because we know if we can make them better as a human being, we're going to reap the byproduct, which is winning. And that's why we got three championships in the last nine years. And and we're always at the upper echelon. And there the you go. I was. We, we know there's a correlation. I, I was speaking to Bo on the podcast a, a little over a week ago. And 
And, um, you know, I, I asked him, we, we spoke about you and I said, what, what has, has coach taught you? What, what did you take from him? And he said, he said, man, it, 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 it wasn't just learning how to be a professional, but he said, he's taught me how to interact with people. He's taught me how to be a good husband. He's like, and, 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 and he was pouring just, just good words on you. And, and, and I can see from my experience at the school that, that, that the way that you handle your coaching staff, the way you handle your players, the way you handle the environment seeps out, it goes outward, like, like, like tree roots to, to everything else. And so that's, that, that's one player who, who could not say enough good things about you. And, uh, and then he, he said, because Coach Driscoll taught me what it meant to be professional because you mentioned it. So many people want to be pro, meaning they want to play pro basketball. But but one of your jobs as a coach undoubtedly is to is to teach them that pro is short for professional. And that means more than just on the basketball court. And so Bo was talking about he, he, he said, yeah, he said, after I left Coach, coach Driscoll, I had learned so much. And then I and then he said he he got to Europe and it was a fellow Pittsburgh coach. Mike Taylor was his first European coach. And he said and he taught me so much about European basketball. So it was clear to me that Bo took your example of always learn, always fill the fill up the bottle. So it's not half empty or half full, always fill it up. And it's it's translated directly into his success. So which is going to make him successful. Exactly. You know, you know, Roman, just like what you're doing, like you're trying to be a pro in what you're doing. Like you might be a pro in like the marketing department. And so you're always trying to pour into them or that might be somebody like, you're trying to be a pro in academia or you're trying to be, mm -hmm. a, be a pro in rehabilitation. JT was a pro at rehabilitation. Like he was a pro. Like he knew exactly how he had to do it, when he had to do it and all those kind of, and he ended up being obviously one of the, greatest players that, you know, that played here in a lot of those, there's been a lot. Um, but my point is like, it's not just being a pro getting right. paid, make a bucket. It's about being a pro as, as a man being like, just how, how, how that looks. One of my favorite mottos, which I think in, in encompasses a lot of things we've talked about. And I was talking to Bo about this is, is being as big a sports fan and, and especially a, as big a baseball fan as I am, you know, you can go on a long losing streak, but it's a long season. You can, you cannot be hitting well, you cannot be shooting well if you're playing basketball, but, but the next day is, is a perfect day to snap out of your slump, to start the next big winning streak, to turn the season around. So, so I kind of have, have adopted this, this motto of today's a good day to go one and oh. And, and, and that seems to go, to be right in line with the, uh... Oh, okay. So, so for those that are, that, that, that are listening, you're holding up a, a UNF banner that literally says one and oh. So that explains where I got that from. Um... So we, um we always had this coach Lang was always big on it and he kind of got me going on it. And then unbeknownst to me in the championship year, my wife, she always saved um, extra paper that was not used on the back. Mm -hmm. And so she went to the copier, flipped the paper so that the clear part would be seen. And she printed as big as she could one and oh. That's, yeah. And when they, she put it up in the stands and all the students. And I got really emotional that night. It was against Stetson. And um, I was like, and then I'm like, who did that? 
And then I found out it was her. And then this company saw it and they're like, Hey, can we, can we print real ones, uh, you know, and have them for the game on Sunday, the championship game on ESPN. So mm-hmm. that this one happened to come. Um, and we actually have a t-shirt that says get up. And then it says, win as big as you can win. Mm. And it says, go to bed. <laughs> and, and basically it's the same thing you're saying just you know just go one and oh and and win right. the day and, i definitely and- need to get one of those one and no signs for this podcast room uh <laughs> but uh okay. i might have i might have two of them hey i'm, I'm gonna have to look because they were they were a hot item i was gonna say if you have an extra one <laughs> but uh so so undoubtedly one of the highlights for you while you've been at North Florida was the trip to the 2015 NCAA tournament. What do you remember from that year? What's your, what, what, what's your um, biggest memory? Cause that to, to date is UNF's first and only trip to the NCAA tournament. So, so what do you remember from that? Well, if I told you losing to Robert Morris, that's probably not what you want to hear. Um, hey, I mean, that's, that, that's what happened, but. I mean, that's I'm at the forefront. Yeah. Um, but if you, you know, if you peel it back, um, it's hard to say, like, there's, there's so many things that people don't know that transpired during right. the year. One of them was at Alabama and Romello was having a, a really good game and we were down 15 or so and the game was out of reach and there was about a, I don't know, buck 30 left maybe um you can look it up and see exactly when it was and Romello got the ball in the post and Aaron Bodiger was was kind of playing up and down and he really wasn't shooting the ball great and it actually I think it culminated um a five game losing streak so Bebe got hurt turned his ankle he, we lost to Tennessee Tech twice I think we had lost to Indiana maybe um, anyways, they throw the ball and Romello gets it on a block, skips it to Aaron Bodiger off a flare pass. And he very easily could have just shot it. He was having a great game. He probably had 12 or 14 points, something like that. And Aaron Bodiger rose up and just buried this three. And so we immediately called timeout and we got everybody together and we looked around And I said to them, understand something. What just transpired is why on March 9th, we're going to be cutting down the nets as the A-Sun champions. Absolutely. And so Bebe came back and he used this term like a computer, hit refresh. And so we kind of used that as like a, 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 a rallying deal. And we basically refreshed. And then, of course, you know, we were we were very, very dominant that year um, as we moved through. And um, um, the game at home against Florida Gulf Coast, you'll you'll talk to to Brett about this probably um, was probably the coming out game for us. Um, we're down 14. We were down 12, 14. Mm hmm. Chris Davenport gets thrown out of the game and um, we switch 
And we said, well, we're going to have to play zone the rest of the game. And we end up outscoring them by 25 and we win by 12 or 14 going away. Dallas has like 25 and 10 assists. And um, it started that understanding of like, and Brett actually made a comment after the game to their media, you know, about Dallas because Dallas was a sophomore and that was that sweet 16 groups were seniors. Mm -hmm. So that was supposed to be their farewell year. Um, And then when we got to the home number one seed, it looked like it was going to be us and them. And then up state goes down and upsets them. And um, obviously what transpired out there was, um, I don't care what anybody says. There's never been a better visual than 6,155 people rushing a floor like that. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a lot to that. I, I actually have a story about that. One of my friends, I was not able to get to the championship game. One of my friends was, and he, he took out his phone so he could video the rushing the court and he gets down to the, to the, to the, to the floor and his phone's still recording and he drops it. So, so, so his phone's recording from the floor of everyone rushing the court. Uh, and it's just, it's the funniest. Neat, thing. That would be a neat thing though. It, it's the funniest thing because, because I told Bo that story and he's like, that's the definition of a mosh pit. And I was like, yes, you're looking up at thousands of people rushing the court. I remember that game vividly. I remember you guys going to the thing. I remember ESPN at the time sent Sarah Walsh. Who's sure. a UNF alum to the school? I remember you being interviewed on Sports Center and and a bunch of the players being it. it I was still there. That was my senior year as well. So that was a quite quite a um, going away gift for for me as as, as someone who graduated in 2015. But you but, look at you look at what transpired, and then you look fast forward. Dots on a map. Mm-hmm. When we went to play Robert Morris, Bo went eight for ten from three, and guess who was watching the game? Carter Hendrickson. Mm-hmm. He was a young, you know, rising sophomore. Um, just got done with his freshman year. And him and his dad are like, man, that Bo Beats kid, he's pretty good. And, and then, you know, they're typing in unf.edu and right. trying to figure out what is this place? Where is this place? And so fast forward, you know, he's second leading scorer all time and one of the greatest players to ever play here. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot to that that whole 2015 deal for sure. Well, one of probably one of the biggest things you, you, you became something of Stephen Putnam as well. There you go. You became something of a sensation uh, during that Robert Morris game. When I believe it was the halftime interview, you were quoted as saying ballers make plays and dudes are dudes. And the media ran with that and it went viral for a while. Uh, Like it, and I, I still see it on, on like the packages for the NCAA tournament today. What do you remember? Did anything happen? What What do you remember a- after you gave that interview? Did anybody reach out to you to be, to be like, what does that mean, coach? Like, did did anybody want to talk to you? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It was sport. It's in sport. It's in the in the you know Carrie has all the whatever you call it. I mean, it was in Sports Illustrated. Um, I think Barkley made a comment about it. Um. I got a lot of text about it. Um, but that's what exactly what I told the guys. Like, like 
at the end of the day, like I think they were up seven maybe at the time of the timeout. And then we got up like whatever it was. I'm like, 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 man, we got to be ball. Like we're a player coach team. Like, like ballers are ballers. Like dudes are dudes. Like, like we got to start doing some stuff now. And there's nothing we can do. You're the ones between the black lines. You know, it was kind of one of those deals. Right. Um, and in reality, it's the Jimmys and Joes. Like those are the dudes, right? I mean, it's at the end of the day, like you got to have players. Mm-hmm. If you don't have players, I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are as a coach. You ain't winning. You're you're not winning. When Coach Patino left the Celtics and went back to Louisville, I was at his very first ever clinic that he did in that transition. Mm-hmm. And he started off by saying, don't be misconstrued about the Kentucky team. We had four first round picks. Like, like you gotta have, you gotta have players. Now you, it's better when it's a player coach team mm-hmm. and they can figure things out, you know, as the game, you know, progresses. Um, but that, that halftime between that halftime interview and then 2017 with Dallas being a senior and the let's go, which has gone way more viral. Yeah. Hundreds of millions of times. My, LeBron James was probably the the one that used it that probably got the most in one particular um setting. Um, but that that particular moment as well, too, um, has kind of gone national as well. One of my, uh, I think it was my like last project before I graduated was to in like my, my video class was to get into groups and make like a little documentary. And so we decided that we were going to do one on the team and we got, got some footage of you guys and we were, we filmed some games and we interviewed Bo and I think DeMarcus as well. And we have video of you like screaming let's go in the locker room so i so i have video of that on my computer right now uh, oh wow <laughs> um, i've been doing it i've been doing it forever so oh yeah it and I was, like it wasn't like it was a first time deal i think i was on uh coach perkins twitter the other night and after i put up bo's interview and he, i saw like he he just has a graphic of of you saying that on like saved on his twitter somewhere and i'm like there yep that's but was it a drawing it was a i think it was like a like like a repetitive video that somebody had Uh, made like like the kind that you see on like the jumbotron that just replays over and over and over one of our players who i named trip day Mm -hmm. he actually we signed him he actually drew it with pencil and sent it awesome yeah that's awesome yeah it's it's i've used it i've used it in various states really really well done um so We've we we've mentioned him already in this interview, but your journey is intertwined a lot with current Baylor head coach and national championship winning head coach Scott Drew. In your time being his assistant, and then before you came to UNF, because that's one of the first that's one of the things you mentioned to me when we first met back in 2011. You said I came from Baylor where I was under Scott Drew, so so obviously he's had an impact on on your career at this point what what did you take away from him as a head coach that you now use with with your players oh a lot you know we're 20 years now in our relationship he's been 20 years now 20 seasons he's been at Baylor and um coach 
first of all, coach really helped me to become more grounded and more um, in tune and helped me so much more in my faith that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and and he walks it and you can see it and he doesn't have to say it. And I don't think I even have to say it. I think people can can just see. And 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 that's the one thing about coach. He he loves human beings. He has an incredible attention to detail. He really understands what it means to to work, work efficiently. You know, he's he use, I use the term now all the time. He always used the term, let's knock it out, let's knock it out, let's knock it out. Like, and so he really, really, really helped me to become more a better husband. He helped me to become a better father, even though he wasn't a father just quite yet. Kelly was actually pregnant when we flew down on the plane to take the job. Problem was they hadn't told anybody yet. And I put all my luggage in the toilet on the plane. <laughs> and so apparently she had to use the bathroom, but she couldn't because all my luggage was, because I never went back to Valparaiso. So she couldn't use the toilet. Um, so she had to hold it all the way from Indiana to Texas. So, oh man. Um, yeah. Yeah. That wasn't, I didn't know if I had known, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have put the How long on. a flight is that? Um, on a private plane. I don't know. It was probably, I don't know, three hours, I guess. Yikes. Um, uh, but, um, you know, coach, the other thing coach really showed was, um, how to be intentional on offense. Um, our zone, which helped us win our third championship is all from coach. Um, and so, you know, coach really, he poured into me about, um, how to recruit, um, telling uh, the, the, the necessity of telling stories, um, the necessity of having visuals, um, um, that you Absolutely. can, um, um, along with those stories, um, coach just, he, he really just poured into us and just, and then remember now, Coach Tang at Kansas State, Coach Mills at Wichita State. You can't see it, um, but we're up here. All of us are we're all bald um, <laughs> because the last the year we went to the NCAA tournament, we were on a losing streak, mm -hmm. and my hair was really long. And one of the guys says, "Hey, Coach, like, are you going to fix your hair?" And I'm like, "Are you going to win a game?" And, and he was like, man, come on, man. I'm like, no, I'm like, serious. Like, like, I'm not getting my hair cut until we win. So how about win a game? And he's like, well, I, I got an idea. How about if we win? You let me cut it. I said, man, you can shave me bald for all I care. I said, just win. And he's like, you're serious? You'll, you'll. I said, man, let me tell you something. If you win games and you win them in a row, you can go right down the office and shave everybody's head. And so I go back to the office. I'm like, hey, man, just so you all know, <laughs> here's what I just did. And so we beat Kansas State, Michael Beasley, which is kind of funny because Coach Tang's at Kansas State, Michael Beasley right. just to his team. So that right. was the first, that was the, my haircut. Coach Tang's office was next to me. We won the next game. Coach Mills' office was next to him. We won that game. Then we had to go to Texas Tech, and Coach Bruff's office was next, so we won that game. And so we're on a four-game winning streak. We go to the Big 12 tournament, and we're a five seed. 
and a five seed has never lost to a 12 seed. The next guy to get his hair cut, he's a little bit, mm, I really don't want my hair cut. But he's going to have to do it because that's just what we said. And sure enough, we lose. We end up getting into the NCAA tournament, and then we lost in the first round. So, so four of us got our hair shaved. One, the last guy, we they, the guy shaved it right on the tarmac, and in Lubbock, Texas, um, they we got an extension cord, we plugged it in, we ran it out, and they just zipped them out on the tarmac. I think it's in Coach's book. I'm not positive, but uh, I think. Uh, of course, at that time, a five had never beaten or a 12 had never beaten a five. Now it happens all the time. I know. So, so. I know. That was in the big 12 tournament and it's, and it's crazy. So, um, but yeah, coach, coach Drew was, um, and, and really all of us, I mean, there was a, there was a, a really special esprit de corps amongst us um, um, as we continue to grow and, and, and whatnot. But coach Drew, um, you talk about a guy that's as, as genuine, as loyal, um, and just, he just loves, like, he loves human beings. And, um, um, and that's something that I feel like I do, but to see him, um, you know, we always want to learn and get better and, and, and better ourselves. And so, so coach Drew and coach Tang and, and, and all coach Mills and all those guys, they're special human beings. It'll be special in my life forever. So, so I, re I read something not that long ago, and it immediately made me think of you, not because of necessarily what was said, but the reason behind what, why it was said. And it was it was Deion Sanders before he took the Colorado job. You know, he he was one of the biggest names out there. He was all over college football. And they were like, you know, could he possibly, you know, be an NFL coach? Could he go to the Cowboys? Could he do this? And and his response, I'm coming. And his response was that he had he he really had no professional coaching aspirations because it was more important to him to impact young men at a crucial time in their lives and that made me think of you because that's kind of how i saw how you approached coaching at the at the, at, at the college level so what are your thoughts on what dion had to say there i think too from his perspective too you know being a black male and having whatever transpired but having that kind of in your your scheme, in your experiences, in your your crumbs, you know, success is just picking up crumbs along the way and figuring out which ones you want to keep and almost like a squirrel, like, you know, saving them and then when it comes to a time. But like with a guy like Deion Sanders, you know, being where he's been and what he's done and then, you know, dual athlete and the whole nine yards and, and having a brand and nowadays, nowadays, you know, with prime time, you know, the NIL and, and his ability to really communicate that and help guys share that. But he's a no sense, no nonsense kind of guy. Um, he's very discipline driven. Um, as if you, if you follow him, um, you can see that um, you can, you can hear it in the way in which he taught. I don't know him personally, so I don't know, you know, what he does when no one's watching, you can judge someone's character where they act when no one's watching. But from what I understand, from what I read, those are things that are really critical. And I think that goes back to, you know, how you are with your wife, how you treat the women's basketball coaches, how you treat um, the people that come to your practice, whatever that looks like, um, how in which you interact with the president versus the maintenance guy. And right. like, you know, Mr. Myron is, is a dear, dear friend. 
and I'm not going to be any different to him than I'm than I am to President Lamaya. Um, and so I think I think he really believes in a lot of those similar things. Um, and I think again, they're always watching. And then you get to that level, you know, it's even, you know, you talk about pros and all those, like it's even, and then the arms race is is in that, you know, and those power fives, the arms race, you know, nicest facility, nicest NIL, nicest this, nicest that. And so at the end of the day, people were saying, well, Florida Atlantic doesn't have anybody on NIL. And, you know, so, and I say, whoa, 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 pump your brakes. Like pump your brakes. The NIL is here and you have to respect it and you have to deal with it. The transfer portal was here. You have to respect it and you have to deal with it. It used to be one and dones. Are you going to recruit them or aren't you going to recruit them? Mm -hmm. They're not going to be able to let you get any consistency. They're not going to have you have continuity. They're going to leave. They're going to, they can't, they can't get, you know, in, 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 inside the community and build roots inside the community. Well, if you're not recruiting them, you're playing against them. Right. So you can pound your chest all you want, but them are the dudes that are beating you. So, you know, as times change, even though we are who we are and our values are going to stay consistent, we have to continue to learn. We have to continue to listen. We have to continue to expound upon whatever it is and whatever it looks like. And then at that point, now you can start making decisions. You don't have to sell your soul. You don't have to sell who you are and, and I'm going to do like, you have to do that. Like that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Right. Like that's just like saying, well, you know, uh, UNF academics is so hard and I don't know if we're, man, there's a lot of players out there. A lot. Like, don't tell me what you don't have. Like, just go embrace and then go out there and figure it out. All and right. so I think, you know, I'm assuming Dion is probably in those same, same ways. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, when you marry, you start officiating guys' weddings, you feel like you've done a, a really good job. Um, no matter, you know, at the moment, you know, you were really hard on them and, and, but, Nobody understands that. Nobody likes discipline when it's going on. Exactly. They only like discipline four years from now when they're like, oh, okay. Exactly. Exactly. Just, why he said that. But just, you know, going back, yeah. going back, Roman, there's something about Coach Drew. This will give you a good perspective from a basketball. Mm -hmm. And this is great for your listeners and for all people. Bring it. Dickie Hartung, my junior college coach. We go recruiting one night and the kid don't show up. And I'm like, we're, I'm like 22, I think maybe 20. I don't know what I am. 20. I'm 20 some. And he says, I said, come on, coach, let's go. We drove about two and a half hours. I said, let's go. He's like, mm, let's, we were at a park. We we're going to watch a kid play pickup and we were going to play. And Dickie could still play. He played in Australia professionally. And he's like, ah, you know what, Drisk? We drove all this way. We might as well get a run. I'm like, coach, like, come on, man. Let's go. Let's go. We, it's two and a half hours. We get home earlier. Let's go. He's like, Drisk, understand something. There's never a wasted opportunity. And it sort of goes back to dots on a map. 
you know, why are you there? Why this, why that bar in the basement of, you know, was it to be the vice president, the president? Well, I could argue it was to be an assistant at Baylor. Mm-hmm. Because it was Scott Absolutely. Drew. Absolutely. And I, by the way, I thought it was Bryce. I thought he was Bryce. I thought he's the one who made the shot. But anyways, <laughs> don't tell him I said that. But it, no, he knows. He knows I said it. But so we play. While we're playing, there's this kid out there that's pretty good. Long story short, he sends coach a letter two weeks later. He's the division three freshman of the year. And he wants to try to see if he can go higher. So he wants to come to the junior college, which he does. He ends up being first team all league and gets a division two scholarship and whatever. Well, coach drew, I interviewed Valparaiso. His dad's just drilling me on the, on this, on this offensive thing. And he was part of the interview process. And Coach Drew gave me eight VHS tapes. Mm-hmm. And he said, I want to know why Kansas is so fast on offense. And Kirk Heinrich was the point guard then. Wow. This is two on this is 2003. And so I watched these tape. I do this, you know, I do this huge, you know, dissertation, and I got all this stuff. And I'm telling you, to this day, 20 years later. Coach Drew has never, ever used one thing I gave him from that project, <laughs> ever. Oh, However, goes back to what Dickie said. Dickie said, you're never wasting time. Nothing's ever wasted, right? Mm-hmm. So first of all, I think Coach wanted to see how well I watched tape, what I saw when I watched tape, how well I presented what I – because he didn't know me that well. Right. I think he really wanted me to do this whole project so he could figure that out without telling me that. Secondly, guess what we do at the University of North Florida for 15 years? Take the ball out like Kansas. And that's why we're always one of the highest scoring, one of the fastest, one of the most efficient, because we do. So, again, picking up breadcrumbs along the way and like a squirrel putting them back to the side. So, So there's something that Coach did for me from a basketball perspective besides learning how to isolate your best players at certain times and then the zone defense but 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 again it goes back to if you are genuine in your purpose then there's never a wasted opportunity you and I the opportunities we had to talk and of course you know obviously spent time with your mom as well when she came and like it it was never a waste of time it was that time right and now it leads to this which i don't know if that's what it was supposed to do but hey you know i was just some college freshman that was that was interested in maybe you know being like a volunteer coach and i didn't know what i wanted to do i just knew i wanted to be around sports and and all these years later here we are doing this doing this podcast um just a couple more questions for you coach and i'll let you get out of here uh, what what are your thoughts on the current state of basketball? At th- the differences between the college game and the pro game, and how there are some some pros that aren't necessarily happy with the way the game's going. That it's all threes and no defense, and and that college is. To me, I, I think college is right now a better representation of the sport of basketball and of the art of basketball than the pros are because because in college basketball, you especially watch it during tournament time where you see a lot more defense, you see a lot more physicality, you see a lot more mid-range and layups 
And, and yeah, they shoot threes because why would you not? It's, it's the highest point total you can get on the floor, but, but as opposed to in, in, in the pros where everybody tries to be like Steph Curry, which you can't blame them. He's an absolutely amazing talent, but what are your thoughts on the current state of basketball as a whole and the differences between the college game and the pro game right now? I'm not real sure why. Um, I think it's De'Aaron Fox, you know, made that comment the other day. Yeah. He said a couple of days ago. Um, I, I, I'm just not, I think the question was more, you know, do you watch it and the way in which they play and the way in which their schedule is and the way in which their travel is and all those kind of things. Um, I think sometimes we forget when I was a high school coach, that'd be like me saying uh, high school basketball, it's, it's terrible. Like it's, well, it's where we have to go to recruit our players and go find our players and, uh-huh. You know, you go to a high school game and you and you watch the the you know the the purity of it and watch how different people play the way they play and and you learn as well. I mean, they come to team camp and you just you watch and you learn. You go to watch AAU and pick up an out of bounds player. You pick up something they do like you do, and you're like, mm, that's pretty good. And like you know, so whatever that looks like. A really good friend of mine when I got here 15 years ago was a high school coach, and now he's a assistant coach in the NBA, sitting on the bench. And so, like, here's a guy that's gone from, you know, one end of the spectrum to the other. Right. And I think he would, um, I think he would t- completely disagree um, that the game is the game. And, the, and, and what separates the two are the rules. In, in, in the NBA, you defend a certain way and you have to defend a certain way because it's the rules. Because they want scoring at a premium because that's what sells tickets and that's what sells advertising. And that's why they're making what they're making. In college you can scheme a little bit more in the sense that you can shrink and shrink and shrink. And if you don't have enough guys that can make threes, which you can argue, well, Miami didn't make them yesterday, but they make them all the time. That was yesterday was an outlier. We should never base anything on outliers. Right. One time deal. They're outliers Um, for a reason, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's whatever, but so you can do things differently. And because of that, that to me, that's why I love our game because you can, for instance, we beat when I was at Wyoming as in 97, 98, we beat 98, we beat New Mexico, who was a top, they were 10th in the country at the time. And we played a box and one. And if you look up on the wall right there, you see this. This ticket right here. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very memorable day. You won't remember it though. Let me make sure it says the 18th, February 18th, 2001. Um, unfortunately, that's the day that Dale Earnhardt, it was a Sunday. Mm-hmm. That was the day that Dale Earnhardt passed away. Um, earlier in the day, we thought we were going to be the talk of the news all day. Um, and then we became, you know, for all the right reasons. Um, sadly, he got, you know, he he died down the road in Daytona. But on that day, North Carolina, it was start. It was the start of their four Black Sundays. They called them, and they were number one in the country. We, I think, we had lost eight straight. And Roman, I can remember this like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. My high school assistant coach, so the guy that was my assistant back in the eighties, wanted to bring his son. He really wanted to bring him to see North Carolina, mm-hmm. but it's not what he told me. But I knew that's what he wanted, <laughs> and. We go to practice 
our managers and our walk-ons are killing our guys. Like they're killing them, torching them. So that night we're eating pizza at the house and we're just talking and kicking it. And he says to me, Drisk, like, how are you guys going to beat the number one team in the country tomorrow? You couldn't even beat your managers. And I was like, yeah, you know, sometimes that's a little bit whatever. And, you know, we got some things that we're going to do. and We have some ideas. And what we did was we played a triangle in two. And I don't know if you know the name Ronald Curry. He played in the NFL for X amount of years. He was a tight end. Mm-hmm. Their point guard. And he couldn't shoot, save his life. And so they had Chris Lang, who was a pro. Brendan Haywood, who was a pro, um, Julius Peppers, NFL player. They had all, uh, Capel, the assistant at, at, at Pitt. And they had a bunch of dudes. Joe Forte was a lottery pick. And so the first shot of the game in front of our bench, Curry banks in a three. Mm-hmm. And I turned to coach and I'm like, coach, this is going to work. And he took like six more and missed them all. Right. He couldn't shoot. And we end up, you know, but you can't do that in the NBA. Right. And so the, the, you know, it, it kind of gives you, um, you blitz the post, you blitz ball screens, you, um, um, you know, you, you can do certain things in college to always give yourself a chance and to give you the best opportunity, especially when you're going through, this guy's got a tweak ankle, uh, this guy had COVID, whatever that looks like. So you're always trying to figure out ways. Jose got a concussion. Jose comes back. Carter gets a concussion. They both come back. Carter tears his Tommy John. Jose breaks his finger. So you're always like next up. You're always like next up, next up, next up. Mm -hmm. So like Abe Lincoln, I'll be prepared. Perhaps my chance will come. So I think college basketball is great. Um, I know they're thinking about changing some things. Um, I hope they don't go, you know, too crazy. I think the one thing is maybe moving the clock down to 24. Now that the line is the international line to maybe get everything on par with the Olympics. Right. I don't personally want the line to to widen. Um, I I just, I don't want that, but I think that might be coming down the pike. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the tournament Coach Drew would like to have more teams in a tournament. Um, I think the tournament, obviously you saw it, um, but but realignment is going to change a lot of things. Yeah. The way in which, you know, some of these teams are are, are, are moving themselves around like, you know, chess pieces, it's going to change um, um, some of the, the landscape. I think the first four, because I experienced it, um, look at a team like Fairleigh Dickinson came out of the first four. And, and, you know, did what they did. A team like uh, VCU came out of the first four and got to the final four. Uh, UCLA last year. UCLA last yeah. year. Uh, was that last year or two years ago? Uh, it might have been two years ago now that I think about it. That was it, the year Baylor won the championship. I that, yep, that was two years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah they yeah. lost to Gonzaga in the semis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. So, so, so you're ago. right. You were right, UCLA. But, but my point is, you know, I think there's some things that we've really done a good job with. And... And so I don't, I don't know necessarily know that we have to, um, you know, fix it much more. No, 
I definitely feel like, like I said, that that the college game is more, a more well-rounded representation of basketball right now because I've always felt that the pro game, whereas whereas college basketball is kind of a, a unit where if if the game shifts, like the whole landscape shifts with it, whereas the NBA shifts the the seismic shifts in the pro game come with the with the revolutionary player that leads that's the great. charge and in this case Kevin Durant going to the Suns that's right, a right, change right but you're correct but what i mean is is when Steph Curry came into the nba yeah they shot threes but it was much more there was a lot more defense there was a lot more mid range and then Steph Curry shows up and is hitting shots from anywhere at any time all the, all the time. And that kind of ushered in the the three-pointer is king. And so I think when Steph retires, slowly it, it will evolve to whatever the next massive new thing is. What and, and it could be the best defensive player the NBA has ever seen. And if and if that's the case, then then the NBA will bring defense back. They say that kid from France is pretty good. That's seven foot. I'm yeah, but which is crazy because he also shoots threes. Which is I anybody over a certain height that shoots threes is just funny to me. I don't know why. Giannis Giannis obviously is is a difference maker, Um, and you know it just I mean and it's great. It's 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 there's a lot of NBA in college. There's a lot of stuff that they do that we do. Um, there's a lot of stuff that they run that we run, meaning we, meaning college coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of development that they do that we do. There's a lot of video stuff that they do that we do. I mean, there's a lot of carryover between the two. Um, right. It's just that the rules are different. And I think you're, but going back to the point of, of, of the game, of the pro game following that one seismic shift is, is like when LeBron came in, you know, the, the, the positions were pretty concrete you know one was a one a two was a two a three was a three lebron comes in and it's like well i can play all five myself and that that was a shift that was people playing different positions guarding certain people all the sort of stuff and then and then with with steph comes in so when steph leaves and lebron leaves if i have seen in in recent years with Giannis coming in with luca coming in with some of the younger players coming in there is more of a trend back to mid-range and defense so maybe we'll see it more in the pro game who knows um but we've we've touched on this a little bit um this was a historic year for the ncaa tournament in the sense that the 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 brackets went wild it was um uh 14 seed kennesaw state out of the a sun pushed xavier to the brink uh princeton went to the sweet 16 FAU is now in in the final four. Fairly Dickinson became the second one seed, second 16 seed ever to beat a one seed. San Diego State. San Diego State's in the final four. Taking yeah, Miami's a nine seed, I think. Yeah, no, no one seed made it past the Sweet 16, which this is only the the third time in NCAA history that there hasn't been a single one seed in the final four. First time ever in history that there wasn't one in the Elite Eight. That's what I thought. I. I, I, I couldn't find a stat on that, but that's what I was thinking. Do you think this year was a fluke or do you think it's with with NIL deals or transfer portal? Do you think this was a yes. fluke or do you think this is the new normal? No, there's no fluke. It's all about, number one, and the third thing you forgot to mention, NIL, 
transfer portal and COVID. Right. So everybody got an extra year. Right. Now, older is always great. It's always a great thing to have. So now you got guys playing in their fifth or sixth year. They're 23 or 24. Some of them have been playing for four or five years, depending if they redshirt and got hurt or whatever it is. So experience is at the premium. And so when you're looking at these various teams, um, you know, FAU, those guys have been together forever. And they're all back because of COVID. And you look at San Diego State, again, they got a transfer, but you look at them and like Creighton is is kind of mixed, but they've got some really good transfers in. Um, Houston is obviously was the darling. Um, they really didn't have a transfer that made us this year, but they had through. Kennesaw State had a mixture. Robinson was a, was a transfer that came in. Uh, another guard that they had was, a, but there was other pieces that were already there. So yeah. you can take that transfer portal and say, okay, we got these four, but we got to get something specific here. And now because of, of it and then grad transfers and then COVID adding yeah. that extra year. So I think it's, it's a, you know, and it, if PAC would have went back to Kansas state, that doesn't mean Kansas state would have done what they did this year. Wasn't it Kansas state who like most, if not all of their team was, hey. was new from last year, was different from last year. no, but Noel was already there, and number 25 was already there. Noel, but they both transferred. So yeah. their top eight guys were transfers yeah. at some point. Yeah. So, you know, so like um, the sixth year of the man, uh, the sixth man of the year in the, for Gonzaga, Smith, I mean, he was a transfer from Chattanooga. Right. And so, like, some teams had zero. What uh, Coach, I think the Sweet 16, Coach Perkins looked it up. He was just curious. Um, you know, how many of their top eight were transfers? Um, All of so, them. so it's just some people had eight that were transfers, some people had seven, some people had six, five, right. four, whatever. Um, but you know, it's and then the NIL Wong comes back because of the NIL, right? Timmy comes back because the NIL, he's going to make more money. In NIL, mm-hmm. uh, um, what's his name? The big rebounder, um. To Shibwa from yeah, Oscar Shibwa, yeah, uh, Shibwa. He came back because of the NIL. Mm-hmm. It was more than he was going to make in the G League or on a two way or whatever. You know, if right. guys making a million bucks um, and still be able to be in college and get better and yada yada yada. So, so then it, that's the NIL portion of it. So you got the transfer portal, you got the NIL, and then you got that COVID, COVID yeah, you got that COVID year um, that people are, are are able to take advantage of. So, so what you're saying is, is you think that between transfer portal and NIL, it's, it's kind of even the playing field a little bit more people can go to this, to different schools. They don't have to go to Kansas or Kentucky or whatever, because you could be, you know, Mr. Basketball, Iowa, but, and then, but, but if you go to Kentucky, you go to Kansas, you're, you might be sitting on the bench because Mr. Basketball from 14 other States probably went there, but now it'll people are going to the, to different schools and, a thought I had when FAU, I think when FAU made it to the to the Elite Eight, I I I had a thought between NIL transfer portal and and COVID. Have we seen the end? Do you think we've seen the end of the true Cinderella in the NCAA tournament? No, the, t- the team that comes out of nowhere to. No, you know, I think it's always been here, 
and I think it'll always be here. I think the 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 Butlers, the George Masons, the um, the VCU's at that time. I think Loyola Chicago. Loyola Chicago was the last one before Florida Atlantic, mm -hmm. um, the last non-power five, whatever you want to call it, um, to get in. So no, I don't. I don't think so. I think look at Princeton. Um, you know, I, well, that's the with for Princeton with me. Obviously, no one expected the Sweet Sixteen with them, but in the tournament, the Ivy League is always a tough out. Like I feel like the Ivy League always pushes whoever they play to the absolute limit. Well, go back to um what you said earlier. Um, you were talking about what it looks like and and how it's going to look and how we're going to move forward with that. Parity mm -hmm. in college basketball. The difference between I, in my opinion, men and women is, I forget what year it was, but the men went from 15 scholarships to 13. And you say, well, coach, it doesn't really matter. Well, most people use 12 anyways and save one in case a transfer happens mid-year or whatever. So you're talking about three scholarships that all the really, really blue bloods couldn't use. So now those three players are all trickling down. And now college basketball got to be a little bit more competitive men's basketball. And that's was the first of what transpired for men's basketball to get everybody. Oh, wow. Look at this team. Look at this team. Yeah. Mason or Chicago, um, uh, Butler, um, 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 VCU, Wichita state. We forgot them. And so now you got a lot of people are using 11 scholarships now. Absolutely. They're saving two in case somebody gets in a transfer portal or leaves late. And also, too, a lot of people are like, man, I can't keep 13 guys happy. Now those guys are going to go in a portal. For sure. You know, so it's a it's a catch-22. You know, so I think to answer your question, the NIL and the portal, like college basketball is going to continue to have these kind of tournaments because you can you can fix quickly with really, really, really good players. Yeah. I always told my dad growing up because, because I grew up a huge Alabama fan because I have family that lives there and, 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 and I always told, exactly. And I always, I have a, I have a, 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 a football back here from, uh, I think it was 2017. I think it's the BCS or it, it was the last year of the BCS and it's a, it, it's an Alabama championship football right back here. Um, nice. But I always told my dad, like once Saban came in and Alabama started dominating, I was like, if I was a college football player and like one of the best, but not like the best, I would rather go to like a Louisville or a North Carolina or somewhere where I could play than in Alabama, because I could be sitting on the bench for three years, but behind four other quarterbacks, behind four other wide receivers that are just as good as me. But there's but so many Mac, of them. But look at Mac Jones. Yeah. Mac Jones sat behind all them jokers. Right. But I think, I think it was when Mac Jones was there. I think it was, uh, I think it was Jalen and Tua, or maybe, maybe Jalen was gone. Tua was there. And then, oh, there's three guys. And then Mac was behind him. Was and four. then there was a, um, I think it was Bear Bryant's nephew or something like that. It's a great article. You need to read it. There was, yeah, there, there was like four or five guys in that and, quarterback room and like, they all he ended up to, he went to he went to camp with Tua and they were both yeah they were both high school seniors and his dad's like because he's from here and his dad's like you want to go to Alabama like did you see that too 
Yeah, I think he's that's like, he's that, like I don't care. I want to go and learn, and I'll do this and I'll do that. And that that's why I agree with you that I think like, but I think this is the new norm in college basketball. Whereas guys are like, I can make I can make money in college basketball now. I'm gonna go where I can play. Yeah, I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna stay close to home. I don't have to go to Lawrence, Kansas. I don't have to go to Lexington, Kentucky. I don't have to go to Duke. I can like I think I think maybe I'm wrong because he was an absolute freak. But if NIL existed when Zion Williamson was in college, he would have stayed home and gone to South Carolina because that was his second choice. Or Clemson. But or Clemson. But he went to Duke instead. And I and you know, I he's think, one of the first people to start recruiting him. Hmm? You know, he's one of the first people that started recruiting him. Who? Us. Very nice. So his Very- principal is from hmm. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. There you he, go. He reached out to a friend of ours and said, Hey, we got this kid in our school and supposedly he's pretty, I think he was a sophomore and um, maybe, maybe he was a freshman. I don't remember, but can you put your eyes on him and kind of give us an idea of what you think? It's hard not to put your eyes on him. <laughs> he, like three, he was a, took like three seconds. He was a freak in nature. Yeah, um, three seconds. Last question, coach, and I'll let you go. I've, I've asked a version of this question to every person that i've interviewed you you already told us a bunch of of great stories but what is your craziest like coaching anecdote like what's when when you look back at your your coaching career what's the story that's like man i can't believe this happened like this is this is just crazy roman there's a lot i know (laughs) i mean there's i mean i'm serious now there's there's a lot um because i'm thinking back even when i was division three driving the vans and washing the uniforms and I dropped my son newborn on the floor folding towels on accident <laughs> about three feet up goodness um Carrie and I were recruiting one time and there was a shooting outside the gym she was pregnant with my with Chase mm-hmm. and I everybody ran the other way and I just kind of got on top of her then I started thinking probably not going to stop a bullet yeah so we were able to get into a a closet in Pittsburgh um Man, I got, I got so many. Um, let me let me let me tell you one that be a good story. Go for it. So, the late great Rick Majerus, mm-hmm. the head coach at Utah, nineteen ninety eight. If you remember, they played in the Final Four. Mm-hmm. So they were really really good. We go to their place and we're getting beat pretty good. And that's my first year being a division one coach. So I don't really understand the inner workings of it. So there's under four minute media and coach Judson, who was a long time head coach at BYU women. I think it was the all time women's coach at BYU just retired, was on staff at Utah. Comes walking toward our bench and coach Duncan and coach Shide had been in the mountain West before. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, they're older. They, you know, coach was, you know, they just know everybody, you know, everybody knows everybody in the business. So I'm like, why is this guy walking down to us? Like, what's going on? He talks to Dunk. Dunk comes over to me and says, so what had happened was about two minutes earlier, Coach Shiat made a comment that he probably about the physicality of the game. Right. And Coach Majerus didn't like it. Uh-oh. 
And so he comes down and Dunk comes over to me. He says, hey, Drisk, we got a problem. So coach always walked first and I always walked with coach. He said, uh, coach Judson just told me that uh, coach doesn't want to shake coach's hand. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, he's really disappointed and really upset about what he said. I said, okay. I said, I'll handle it. Don't worry about it. So with like 30 seconds left, I said, coach, listen, the games, they're beating us by 20, maybe 30. I said, listen, they don't, he don't, they, like, he don't want to shake your hand. Like he's really upset about what you said. Like, just let's just walk. The locker room though is you have to go by their bench. Mm -hmm. Let's just, you, you walk behind me. He's like, man, I ain't scared of him. I'm like, coach, listen, this ain't got nothing to do with you being scared of anyone. Just you walk behind me. Don't worry about shaking hands, shake hands with the assistants and then just, just keep on going. Let's get out of here. All right. All right, coach. So the game ends. I get in front of coach. So now I'm walking down and coach Majerus is going to meet me first. So the scores table is right there. And I don't know if you know anything about coach Majerus, but he wore glasses. Mm -hmm. So he takes off his glasses and he sets them on the scores table. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this dude is really going to try to fight coach. <laughs> And as coach gets closer, then it starts. And then, you know, he's able to break it up and, you know, and able to get it, you know, whatever. And then coach goes. So fast forward, they still got to come to our place. Well, this was back in the day where there was message boards where people would write stuff on message boards. Mm -hmm. and who they were because you could hide behind everything, you know? Yeah. Well, it got really, really, really intense between Wyoming fans and Utah fans. Probably crossed the line at some point. Mm -hmm. Coach Majerus was a little bit concerned about coming in. Like, he was a little concerned about some of the things that were said. Right. They were fourth in the country when they came to play us. And they were good. Andre Miller... Um, 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 uh, Doliak had played in the league forever. Uh, Brittany, John, uh, um, not Brittany, but, um, Britton Johnson, um, Jansen Hansen from, uh, Sweden. Like they were, they were, um, Jordy McCat, like they were unbelievable stacked. And so they get to the final four, right? They're fourth in the country. So coach Majerus cancels practice the night before they don't fly in until the day of the game, which is unlike them. He comes out on it is packed up in that joint. Seats 15,000. Comes out of the tunnel. And I mean, they are giving it to him. There's a couple other stories that go along with it, but I'm not going to share them. They're giving it to him. And we end up beating them that night. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. And they were cordial. You know, they were cordial. Um, but on the ending of the story. Walked by their locker room at like 1130 that night to kind of go to our locker room and make sure everything was whatever. And Coach Majerus was still in the locker room talking to the team for like an hour and some change after the game. He was still 
very, very, very distraught about was, what transpired. He was not happy. Yeah. No, no. So anyways, that, that it's kind of a cool, kind of a cool story. All right, coach. That's, that's all I officially have for you. I'd like to uh, thank coach Driscoll again for joining us today on, on empire sports talk. Thanks coach. Roman anytime. And then, and if I can help with anyone, I'll do the best I can. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, that was UNF head basketball coach Matthew Driscoll. I want to thank him again for taking time out of his very busy schedule to sit down with us here on the podcast and, and talk about his coaching journey and his relationship with Scott Drew and all those amazing stories. I, I wish the best for him and the UNF program. He's, he's the winningest coach in the school's history, the longest tenured head coach in the school's history, and I wish nothing but success for him as he continues on his coaching journey. That's all I have for you on this week's episode. This has been Empire Sports Talk, and I am your host, Roman Gennaro. See you next time.